Hey guys, it's Jamie here. Before we dive into this episode, I want to make sure that you're in the loop. Did you know that I do free coaching calls? Well, I do. In the exclusive Stepmom community, members can apply to have a free coaching call with me. It's about 30 minutes and we dive into their specific stepfamily stressors. And it's recorded anonymously, of course, and then uploaded on the members only podcast so that everyone can benefit. I do this every month, but lately I've noticed an increase in stepfamily stress. Holidays can do that, eh? So for December, I'm releasing a coaching call episode every Thursday. Recent calls include one with a stepmom whose parents disowned her for being a stepmom. One whose ex is invited to all of the family gatherings, even 10 years post-divorce. One whose ex refuses to follow the divorce order and is repeatedly taking them to court for full custody, even though the judge has already told her to get a grip, and so much more. These coaching calls and extra podcast episodes are a favorite among the members of the exclusive STEM community, and you can even download them to your podcast app. If you're a member, keep an eye out every Thursday morning in December. And if you're ready to become one, head to www.theexclusivestepmomcommunity.com to join. When you do join, be sure to come to the forum and say hi. I can't wait to connect. Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We're bringing you along as I create my own. Let's do this. I think we can all agree that fear plays a huge role in most of our lives, if not all of our lives, at some point in time. There are so many deep-rooted fears about our self-worth, our safety, relationships, future, our value, money, like the list goes on. And today's guest believes that ultimately the goal is to transcend fear and come to a place where you just trust the process of life. Monica Berg supports you in diving into your fear and going on a journey of eliminating the impact that fear has on your life. In this episode, we dive into the different types of fear, the relationship between trying to control things and fear. Hello, fellow control freaks. The power of diving into your fear, surrendering to things you can't control, which is a huge issue for a lot of stepmoms, a fixed versus a growth mindset, and how to shift your perspective on challenges and things. That's you. You guessed it. Fear. This was such an impactful episode. In fact, I recorded it a while back and thought the message was so important and relevant that I released it early in the exclusive stepmom community. If you are not familiar with the exclusive stepmom community, it is my online community for stepmoms. It's just a space off social media where I share coaching and exclusive content and I hold office hours and we have tell all podcast episodes and live Q and A's and 
you know, members get access to free coaching calls and there's a private forum where you can connect with me and fellow stepmoms. It's just such a great supportive space to come to when you are struggling. So if you want to connect with me and, you know, get more episodes and support, you can join us through www.theexclusivestepmomcommunity.com. And if this is the first time you're listening to this episode, or if you've already heard it in the exclusive stepmom community, I'm just really excited to introduce you to Monica Burke. So she is a relationship expert, a counselor, an international speaker, and the author of Fear is Not an Option, which we talk about today, and her other book, Rethink Love. She is also the host of Spiritually Hungry podcast. Monica's mission is to show individuals how to create a life that not only feels like it's working, but most importantly, a life in which they're living and loving as the powerful, fulfilled person they've always wanted to be. This episode is so good, so I'm going to stop talking. Let's dive in. Monica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. There's just so many things that I could talk to you about. You have, you're just such a value to women, especially when it comes to talking about fear. What made you want to dive into the topic of fear? So I meet with, I mean, I still do, but at the time in the meetings that I would have with different people, there were two topics that came up repeatedly. And one was fear and how it kept them stuck. And so much so that they even recognize it as fear, it just became kind of a belief system, the way they express themselves, but I could recognize it. And the other one was love and relationships, which I ended up writing a book about as well. And I think that for me, I really saw a big shift in my life, not just in small increments, but living a completely different way. Once I started to really learn how to eradicate fear from my life. So there are three types of fear and some we need, but the ones that really plague us, that keep us stuck, that stop us from doing the things we love is illogical fear. And that's the one that can be completely eradicated. And by the way, that's the one that really consumes about 97% of all the fears we have is in that category. Mm -hmm. So can you give us an example of illogical fear? So let's go through the three of them because I think it will be easier for your listeners to be able to actualize it in their own lives. First is a healthy fear, and then there's real fear, and then there's illogical fear. So healthy fear is as it sounds. It's set up for our survival and our protection. It's there to keep us safe. So for instance, if you're going on a hike and you go too close to the edge of the cliff, something in you in your stomach kind of turns your palms sweat. Something tells you to step away. If you're too close to an open flame, again, you have that instinct to move back. But even intuition is a healthy kind of fear. So, you know, I'm sure we've all had this experience. If you're about to go into an elevator and there's somebody in there already and you get this weird kind of vibe and feeling and you're like, oh, I don't think I want to be in a small space with somebody that I can't leave and I'm feeling uncomfortable. That is a healthy fear that's set up for your survival and your protection. And in fact, one of the most powerful stories that I mentioned in my book is the story of Carol Durant from Murray, Utah. And she told this story that one day she was approached by a police officer. She's in a parking lot. And he said to her, your car has been broken into and we've apprehended the suspect. And we come back with me to the station to make sure that, you know, these are your items, in fact, and identify them. 
And she felt that weird feeling in her gut. And she asked to see his badge and he showed it to her. And reluctantly, she ignored that feeling she had. And she went with him in his car and they're driving on the highway. And she had one hand on the handlebar, her right hand, and she's in the passenger seat. And she notices they're going the opposite direction of the police station. So she says to him, you know, you're going the wrong way. And a fight ensues in the middle of the road, and he's trying to handcuff her left hand while he's driving. She's able to jump out of the moving car. He pulls over. They're fighting on the side, and she escapes miraculously. A few days later, she's reading the paper, and she sees it on that same day. A little bit later in the afternoon, a woman was kidnapped, raped, and murdered. And they have a picture because they were able to apprehend the suspect. And it was serial killer Ted Bundy. And she recognized him as the man in the police uniform that day. So I don't think there's a better story to say, okay, if you have that feeling, you should actually honor it. Then there is real fear. And that's rooted in reality, fear of disease, death, sickness, losing our loved ones. Those are things that happen in this lifetime. But even with that fear, it can be used as a great motivator for change. Often we get so stuck in that thought, that loop, like, oh, you know, the day that I'll lose my parents, that it actually takes away from living this moment, from appreciating them, from experiencing them. So I always say, if you really have that fear, instead of feeding the fear, allow it to create movement that you express to them how much you appreciate them, that you love them, that the time you have together is quality and powerful and is meaningful and purposeful. So those two fears, I don't mind because they don't consume us. You're able to transform that energy and utilize it for something positive. Illogical fears are a fear of heights and spiders and elevators and public speaking and rejection and failure all the things that stop us from living our best life, from reaching our potential. And really, you know, we listen to that all the time, but we allow it to keep us small and to not really pursue the life that we want. The reason we do that, there are many, but it feels very real. And I usually do this workshop. I've done this in many different lectures I've given, and I ask people to rate their fears. First, they write down like three of their major ones, and then I say, okay, rate it as healthy, real, or logical. And they, they usually get it wrong the first, second time, because that illogical fear so feels so real, right? And all consuming. Yeah. I love that. I'd love to go back to the intuition piece for a second. Cause you talked in your book just about how women in particular will ignore that intuition. And we almost have this ability to, I think we have a better ability to have that intuition around that type of fear. Right. And we kind of can pick up on that gut feeling and that kind of stuff. Why do you think that is in society that women, you know, obviously we've been told to be good girls and, and to make people happy. How do we push past that? And, you know, where do you think that's coming from right now? Yeah. I think a big part of it is the feedback we've gotten is that you should be polite. You should be kind. Don't be too loud. You know, there's a name for, for girls like that. It starts with the B and, really often that we should put ourselves in the background. I think like anything in life, it doesn't matter if you're male, female. I think that if you don't honor and respect what it is that you see, that you're aware of, that you recognize both good and bad, then nobody else is going to do that for you. Nobody else is going to make you be relevant or valuable. So I think it's just something that we have to do, even if other people don't want to take us seriously or hear our opinion. I think that it's time to really pause and stop and say, okay, what is it that I believe and honor that instead of what is it that they expect me to believe, see, think, do, say. Mm -hmm. As you said in your example, there's power in tuning into that gut feeling. I, I personally know like anytime I've ever followed my gut, 
even though everyone else has maybe said it was not the right route, it's worked out. Like there's power in that. And here's the thing. When we stop listening to our voice and we we ignore it time and time again and we listen to experts or to other people that we think would know better than we do, that voice becomes smaller and smaller and smaller until it becomes inaudible because everybody else's voice becomes elevated and raised. And then over time, people are like, and I have this, I have people come say, you know, I used to be so intuition. I could always trust my intuition. Now I don't even know what I believe. I can't even hear what I want. And it's because you've stopped listening. And so then you stop recognizing it. And it's, it's something that everybody, you know, people sometimes say, oh, that person's intuition. I'm, they're intuitive. I'm not very much that way. It's something that each person can develop for themselves. Mm-hmm. No, that's so true. And I think that's something that's really powerful for us to be teaching our girls. And you have a whole chapter in this book about things that you want your girls to know. And I think teaching our girls to follow their gut is so powerful. By the way, one of the seven things I tell my daughters in that chapter is, and they say, you're not me. And of course, I, you know, I want to have a great relationship with you and I want you to respect me, but I want to respect you too. And you have to learn to hear your own voice because your life is different than my life. The things that you're meant to do are different than the things that I'm meant to do. So even that, you know, I think sometimes with parents, they really get very slighted if their child doesn't listen to them or doesn't follow their opinion or advice. And the way that I'm raising my four kids, you know, cause that's the truth. If you're, if you're teaching them to have self-respect and self-compassion and to really hear that voice in their head and you help empower them to do so, they're listening to you even more because you're mm-hmm. helping build that in them. And like, wow, my mom is that. And I, I want to take her advice because she's really directing me to become this whole person. It's kind of like if you were teaching somebody to ride a bike and you're like, you know, just do it exactly like do like I do it. Follow. Well, that's not a way to teach it. Right. But if you give them all the tools, they're going to keep coming back for more advice because what you've given them so far is working. That's so relatable for us right now. My husband and I, because I think as parents, we can get caught up in the fear that our kids aren't going to maybe be successful or go down the right path. And we want to guide them, but there can be this gray area where we're just trying to put our values on them and what we think they should do with their life. Right. So, you know, we found that with, you know, my stepson and I've talked openly about it. It's been a challenge because, you know, we just always assumed he was going to university. He was going to go down, you know, the right path and that path for him. And uh, he challenged us when he was having to make those decisions for school. And it was this fear-based response, I think, from my husband and from, from even me, you know, thinking about doors being closed or, you know, what could happen or mistakes he could make, or if, is he going to regret that when, really it's his own life and his own journey. And as soon as we noticed that we were doing that and and decided to empower him to, you know, be the expert on his own life and follow his own gut, he really started to come into himself. So I think that's such a powerful message to be giving parents and just the ability to kind of check ourselves and understanding like what that fear is and why it's showing up even in our parenting. Yeah. Often and a lot of parents will recognize this, the way we parent is very much fear-based, right? And and it's for the best intentions. We want to save them from some of the struggles that we experienced, especially the painful ones. And But when we get too involved and we kind of protect them 
from having their experience that they need to have, we, we stop the growth and they feel the fear. And so either they have to reject you, which of course is not what you want in order to choose themselves, right? So I think it's important for parents to really look, what kind of position am I putting my child in? And if you've raised them just to follow you and your rules, guess what? Mm -hmm. When they become teenagers and they've learned to listen to other people and they've become that kind of obedient follower, they're going to follow their friends. Then that voice in high school that is really in their head is not yours anymore. It's going to be their peers. So you don't want to raise that kind of child either. But I do really ask parents a lot of the times when they're struggling with their kids, you know, is this a fear-based response you're having? Are you able to say, okay, I'm going to remove myself from this. And what's the best advice I can give my child so that they become the person that I would really respect and they would really respect five, 10, 15 years from now, not just in this moment. How related is trying to control things and having a lot of fear? Uh, very much because the truth <laughs> is... <laughs> I mean, I, my personality, I would say, is type A, and I really had a strong desire and need to feel very in control of my life, so much so that I, you know, I had an eating disorder. I mean, I just, I was very tightly wound, and, and now I live my, I call myself a change junkie. I'm really on the other side of that. I still do like order and structure, but that control leaves no room for life, really, to unfold. The fear that everybody has, the universal fear, is the fear of the unknown, and so because we're so afraid of the unknown, we try to control every step, but it's such a naive approach to living into life because we have zero control over anything at all other than our response to a situation. And there's the irony, right? Because you have to be able to realize that you're not in control, fully let go, and then you're able to have a lot of options and freedom. It is the remedy, right? So and something bigger happens then. You have a trust in something greater than yourself and you trust that life is going to unfold as it should. It doesn't mean that difficult things won't happen, but you'll be able to make sense of them and you'll be able to become the person that you respect and that you want to be on the other side of it. But it takes that approach. Control really has no space in a happy life. I really do believe that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my platform is primarily for stepmoms. And I talk, you know, I'm a stepmom. I talk to stepmoms basically all day, every day. And that's the huge thing for stepmoms is saying like, I feel like I don't have control over my life. You know, they can't control what's happening at the other home. You can't control maybe a legal agreement and you had no part in creating the co-parenting dynamic, like so many things. Right. And I, I always say, I fully believe we find ourselves in situations where we learn the lessons that we need to learn. Right. And so many stepmoms are control freaks and then they end up, you know, in these situations. And I'm like, it's just a freaking universe putting us where we, we need to be and getting to that place of letting go of control and just like surrendering to it. That's where I support stepmoms and getting to that place, but it's just such a challenge, right? Yeah. It's a mindset shift. Well, here's the thing. What in your example, the need for control is because it sounds like they don't feel like they had a choice, right? The stepchild, they fell in love with the parent, right? And then they now have a lot of other things that maybe they didn't choose. So they feel, I think sometimes when we feel like we don't have a choice, we hold on even tighter and we want to control everything because we never feel like we had a choice. But if you reframe all of that, right, that even if there was no stepchild and then you have a child together with your partner, you have no idea what that relationship's going to look like. So I think if we change the narrative and we're not having a victim mentality, then we're able to see 
things in a completely different way. And then therefore you don't feel like you have to control anything. You're kind of just more open to say, okay, here's the situation. What are my options? What can I do about this? You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes we compare it like, oh, if only it was like this, or if it was like that. And I just think that that's a dead end. And when we find ourselves doing that and and thinking in that way, yeah, you want to control every other situation because you feel like in this case, you didn't have the option. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really, you know, powerful to challenge the belief that you don't have a choice because you do, right? You do have a choice to be in marriages. You have a choice to stay. You have a choice to engage. You have a choice, like you're choosing it over and over and over again. And, you know, I interviewed Sarah Jane Case. She's an Enneagram expert. And she was talking about her experience as a stepmom. And she was saying, you know, yes, I chose this life and I chose this relationship, but I can unchoose it at any time. And I think that's really was it was a powerful statement in that episode too, because we don't think about that as much as we could. A thousand percent. And also relationships can be challenging. It doesn't matter the package that they come in or how they're there. I think instead look at the whole picture and say, okay, how could this be different? I think we often compare where we find ourselves in life with what we thought should have been. And whenever you do that, there you're going to be stuck there. There's no other option, right? But instead, if you look at it saying, okay, here I am and I, I love my life. And if I had to choose, would I choose my partner again? Would I choose this again? If the answer is yes, then find a different way to experience it. And I think that that is really the challenge. And then that, again, that's very expansive, right? Controlling is just very limiting. So it's a choice that we have to make each and every day. And it feels uncomfortable at first until it feels really liberating. And even, you know, in those situations when you're feeling that need for control or you're feeling super triggered, diving into your fears and understanding them, it's like, what is it that I'm actually scared of, right? Right. And often that need for control comes from fear. Now you talk about the power of just diving into your fears. Can you share a little bit about that? Because I, I, I did the exercise in the book. I was like, whoa, okay, I get you. <laughs> like I, I see where this is going. your experience also. Yeah, I mean, there's many different tools that I give, but when we don't challenge our fears, then we collect them through life. And so you'll find yourself now, you have this fear and then in two years from now, you have another fear. And so I have found that anytime, and even after I wrote the book, there was something that scared me. I went all the way into it. I delved completely deeply so that I wouldn't hold on to carry another fear. The example I gave in the book, well, there are a few, but my second son was born with Down syndrome. And then I got pregnant three months later with my third child. And my adrenal glands were shot. I was very fear-based. And I didn't realize how much I had changed. In many ways, I did. In some ways, I didn't. So before Josh, I was like an adrenaline junkie. I would say I am again. But, you know, nothing bothered me. Blood, like, I mean, just I liked risks. I liked challenging things. I liked danger on some level. So when the th- we had three kids at the time, they were a little bit older. Um, I thought it'd be fun to go to an amusement park together. And I love roller coasters and, you know, it's going to be a great day. And my husband doesn't love them so much. He doesn't really like heights, but he did it for me. And we're on the first roller coaster and we're inching up slowly. And I start to get really scared to the point where I'm sweating, my heart's pounding, shortness of breath. And it's a roller coaster in uh, California. And there's this like, 
white grizzly bear at the top and he's like waving and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is the last thing I'm ever going to see. I'm going to die now. And I had the craziest thought that I could just jump off the roller coaster because it was going really slowly and I could jump next to the bear. There was a platform and then I wouldn't have to ride the roller coaster. Then I heard the thought and I said, wow, that thought scares me more than riding the roller coaster. I'm going to be on the evening news. I'm going to embarrass my family. And, um, (laughs) so of course I stayed on the roller coaster and I hated it, but I forced myself to go on every roller coaster that day in the park, because I knew if not, that would have been a fear that was born that day. And it's funny, you know, when you walk into an amusement park and they have the picture they take and you're, everybody's like smiley and this, and and I have a picture at the end of the day, like my hair was braided. And at the end of the day, I'm like green in color. My hair is like frayed. It was so hard, but I, now I like roller coasters again. My point is, is that we should challenge the different things. Of course, to the ability that you can, but if not, you walk around and before you know it, you're a very fear-based person that's just collected mm-hmm. things through life. And you look at children, they're so curious. They're not, you know, they're willing to, to unpack anything, to explore it. We want to make sure we have that curiosity and wonderment as we get older. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. You know, especially when you're diving into the fears and you can, you know, label them the th- one of the three different fears, you realize how many of them are just illogical. You know, you can get caught up in the what ifs and the stories about what that fear really means and like what could happen. And you just find yourself in this hole. It prevents you from living. I know a, a man who has a tremendous fear of flying and it's gotten worse because he's fed it, right? It's gotten worse and worse and worse. And now he won't even take medication on the plane, you know, something to calm his nerves because then he feels like a failure. And that it's one somehow, like none of this makes sense, right? So now his family's mm-hmm. going on vacation without him for years now, and he can't even get himself to leave his house. So that's the rest of his life. And again, that's a perfect example of how I understand fear of flying feels very, very real. I understand that. But what are you missing out on? And I think on some level, you have to ask yourself the question, am I afraid that I'm not going to live the life that I was meant to? I'm going to miss on all these opportunities, the ability to wake up in a different country and have a different perspective of the world and meet different people and taste different food and see beautiful nature that, the, you know, that was created because this fear is so consuming. And, and that's really, you know, for me, it's, it's more fear of living that kind of life versus challenging the fear. Mm-hmm, 100%. One of the fears that really came up for me, and it's oh, and I've been openly talking about it since you know I started this podcast. But f- for me, especially with relationships, and it's come back from my childhood. Just my relationship with my mom broke down when my parents got divorced. I lived with my dad and had some pretty like big abandonment issues that I didn't really realize were affecting my relationships until I became a stepmom. I, I really say like when you become a stepmom, it's like all your triggers come out, <laughs> your fears and insecurities, but. You know, I noticed, well, and especially my husband noticed that I was trying to control everything and just keep my finger on everything and be the perfect wife and the perfect stepmom and, you know, just do do it all right. And that came from my fear of abandonment, right? Mm-hmm. If I was a good stepmom, if I had it all together, you wouldn't leave me. No one's going to leave me. Well, this family, now that your new family won't leave right. you. Yeah. Right. And it's just really interesting when you dive into that need for control and what fear is actually showing up behind that, you can see your reactions and your triggers and your stressors in like such a different light. I often say to people when somebody has a strong emotion, whether it's anger, sadness, whatever it is, 
try to see the want behind the emotion. Because unfortunately, we take the emotion very seriously. We're like, oh my God, what's that person's problem? Right? They're, so, they're so angry. Or even you know, talking about stepmoms, oh, my stepmom, I don't get along with her. Or my stepchild. And it becomes, you just see the behavior. But what's the want? There's always a want or a lack behind the way we express ourselves, especially in the ways that we're not most proud of, right? And I'm sure you're a much better stepmother now after you realize, because when you're so busy trying to control and trying to be something, you're not really who you're meant to be. You're not showing your true essence. And when you let go of mm-hmm. all of that, then you can just allow for the beautiful exchange that is meant to happen to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's such power in surrendering. I'm going to interrupt this episode really quickly to give you the inside scoop on brands and resources that I'm loving who also helps support the show. Of all the questions that I get asked in my DMs, what deodorant I use is one of the most popular. I shared my love for my charcoal deodorant from Primally Appear on my Instagram stories a few years ago, and it has been a hot topic of conversation ever since. Switching to a natural deodorant was something that I was worried about. I had heard the process was quite unpleasant, but with Primally Pure, it was seamless. I had no issues at all. Primally Pure's mission is to get natural skincare products into the hands of people all over the world. And most importantly, to equip people with the knowledge they need to improve their skin and live healthier, more fulfilled lives. Their products are formulated using real ingredients derived from nature for maximum purity and potency. They are also made with certified organic ingredients that are sourced with the utmost attention and care from family-owned farms whenever possible. The owner, Bethany McDaniel, was on the podcast a while back and she shared the story behind the brand. Basically, she wanted to create all natural products for herself and then her family and friends caught on and soon she was running a business from her kitchen. It has evolved so much since those early days, but I love the story and the intention behind the products. In addition to the charcoal deodorant, the almond and vanilla body butter is the best I've ever used. The plumping mask is insane. And I use the facial dry brush to gently exfoliate my skin regularly. You cannot go wrong with any of the products at Primally Pure though. Head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash Primally Pure and use the code Jamie10 to get 10% off your order. That's jamiescrimger.com forward slash Primally Pure and use the code Jamie10 to get 10% off. If you're looking for strategies to help you manage stress, this is for you. I want to be calm. I want to feel grounded, centered, productive, focused, anxiety-free, and I want good sleep. We all do, right? Nucom helps me do all of that. Nucom is an all-natural stress relief technology that is powerful neuroscience that you can tap into whenever you need it. Clinically proven to naturally relax the brain and body within minutes without drugs. It helps to neutralize stress, helps you feel centered and grounded and in control of emotions, restore your sleep, elevate performance, boost energy, and change your state of mind on demand. Here's how it works. Place a Nucom biosignal processing disc on your left wrist. Open the Nucom mobile app and choose a patented neuroacoustic journey. Start your journey and feel the stress melt away in minutes. For more than 20 years, the company has been helping people regain control of their lives by helping them manage stress. From elite military operators, to cancer patients, to professional athletes, to first responders, to veterans, to pilots, to moms, dads, kids, parents, and friends. 
In less than 20 seconds, you can put Nucom on and ease your mind and body into the healing zone, rapidly switching off stress and transitioning your body to deep relaxation and recovery within minutes. It's all about restoring your mind and your body. Personally, I put Nucom on during the workday when I've hit that afternoon slump or I'm feeling triggered and before bed to prime myself for a solid night's sleep. Nucom used to be a $6,000 class three medical device. Now it's easier to use and much more affordable through a subscription. For as little as $137 per day, you can take control of stress and poor sleep and own the day. Nucom has become one of my favorite rituals and is a go-to form of self-care. Learn more and get all the details at www.nucom.com. That's N-U-C-A-L-M.com and use the code Jamie10Off for 10% off. Now I want to read something from your book and I'd love to unpack it because I read it and I was, it really hit home for me. So you said, I had this long held mistaken belief that if you're on a spiritual path, nothing bad can happen to you. Spirituality isn't a security blanket. It offers not guarantee that nothing bad will happen. It doesn't hide you from harm or protect you from life. It doesn't stop your process from occurring. Spirituality doesn't save you from difficulty. It guides you through experiences so that you can learn and grow from them. And I personally, when I'm talking to stepmoms a lot, a time I'm, I'm just talking about the power of just surrendering to it. You know, there's a lot of things in life that are unfair. You know, there's a lot of unknowns. And when you can just surrender and have faith that things are going to work out the way they're supposed to, like they will unfold the way that they do. And just having faith that you can deal with that when that comes, right? I think this is so powerful because... I think there is this misconception that doing that, you have this assumption that things are going to be fine no matter what, and it's not going to be hard. What has your experience personally been like when you decided to let go? Well, when I started to live a spiritual life, I started studying Kabbalah when I was 17, and then I became anorexic when I was 18. And I think that the belief system that I needed to adopted the time was that if I am a good person, I'm a sharing person, I'm a spiritual person, I'm a kind person, then nothing bad will ever happen to me again. And it was a naive understanding of spirituality, but I think, and I've come to understand a lot of people believe that, right? And again, it's just another need for control, but now under the name of spirituality. And when I had Josh, my second son, I was like, whoa, what happened to that belief system? That doesn't work because I am a spiritual person and I am living a spiritual life and this happened. And I see him as a complete blessing and I wouldn't change anything. He's made me the person I am, the, the mother I am, more empathetic. He's a blessing. Like, I mean, really, I wouldn't change anything. But at that time, it was really a struggle for me. It was not what I wanted. It's not what I thought would be part of my life. And also what what happened to this? So I had to unlearn that and say, okay, well, that's a lie I told myself basically. In reality, we have many things that are going to happen in life and they're meant to happen and we're meant to go through a process. Challenges are going to happen. And I think that if we try to live a certain way to avoid any of that, you will be disappointed. And when things do get hard and they will, and it doesn't have to be in the form of mine, it could be just simple challenges. You'll never feel like life was like you were given a a good hand of cards, right? You'll never felt like it was fair. And for me, it was, no, no, no. What spirituality is, is really that you have the tools to be able to derive purpose and meaning 
from difficult things, from challenges. It's from the challenges that you're really able to become the most elevated, most powerful, vulnerable, beautiful self that you're, you, you came to this world to be. So I think that it's an important conversation for each person to have with themselves and to come to that space so that when things happen that initially you don't want or doesn't look like a great gift, you come to realize that, wow, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people when they're in the trenches of that? You know, those really hard days when they've been, maybe been hit with that curveball or they're kind of stuck in that mindset of unfairness and why is this happening? How do you crawl out of that space? Again, I, I, it's it's a step-by-step process. And the more you're able to practice this consciousness and have it, the stronger you'll be. And then it becomes automatic. But I think the first thing is, like my book, Fear is Not an Option, if you find yourself in a difficult situation, the conversation you have to say is, okay, I don't have an option to change what's happened, right? When you set things up like that, if this is no longer an option, then you start to look for other viable options. So you can't change your circumstance or situation. What can you influence? How can you try to challenge yourself to see this in a different way? Could there be any gift in this? So when you start to ask yourself these questions, your brain actually starts to find a solution or an answer. So I think it's first, again, you have to choose and stop saying, am I being a victim about this? It's not whether it's fair or not, or right or wrong. I think that those kinds of questions are not going to really take you anywhere. Instead, this has happened. Okay, now what? What do I want to do with it? What can I do with it? You know, if we look at, for instance, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, how did that start? It was for mothers who were very angry and hurt and upset and devastated And they took that rage and that anger and they used it for something good. It's not going to change what happened, but they're able to feel like they're making some kind of impact in the world, that they're able to take their pain and help other people and influence them. And then the healing also happens for them. Mm -hmm. Darren and I, when we're in a situation where something happens or we feel stressed out about something, I'm always like, okay, what is the worst that could happen? Like, what is our worst case scenario right now? And we, you know, dive into it. And he's like, this is not a very positive attitude, Jamie. But I'm like, okay, no, now what are we going to do? Like, if that happens, what's our next step? And I found, find for me that takes a lot of the fear and uncertainty out of it. Cause I, it brings me back to that perspective where it's like, I have faith that we will always figure it out and we will find the lesson and we will be better for it. A thousand percent. That's the thing. That's a great conversation to have because most people just hear the fear and they never say, Mm -hmm. okay, if that happens, then what? They just stay with the fear. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. And it's just a waste of time and energy. And by the way, the things that we usually fear don't happen is the things we never think about that really come in or like, where did this come from? So all of it's a waste of time, really. For sure. And I think when we're caught up in the fear and this example keeps coming to mind because it's part of uh, just something that a lot of the members of my community go through is, you know, there's a financial fear too, right? And a lot of stepmoms and their partners, they're maybe in court over child support or different settlements and things like that. And there's a lot of unfairness in that system. There's a lot of great things in the system, but there's a lot of unfairness that can that come about and they find themselves in a huge space of worry and fear based on this system. What's your advice for them based on kind of your work and your process? See, again, it's taking, it's, it's a lack of certainty and really trusting the process of life because 
it doesn't matter if the system is fair or not, even in, in the most perfect setup, things go wrong, right? So spending that time worrying and saying, oh, it's unfair and this is broken and, you know, sure, you can spend time and energy there, but it's not going to change the outcome. What it's going to do, it's going to steal away today and it's going to steal away tomorrow and it's going to create disease in your body and and anxiety perhaps. So for me, again, it's just, you have to look at it. You have to be able to remove yourself for a moment and say, okay, am I willing to pay this price? Like I can't, I can't change what I have to deal with. Like, is it unfair that I have to go to court? Yes. Is it unfair that this is yes, yes, yes to all of that, but staying in that space, how does it actually affect any change? It just steals moments of your life from you that you'll never get back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such good advice. And, you know, there's that element of being a fear-based person too. And you talk about that in your book, how do you suggest that someone switches that perspective from being that fear-based person to not? Well, I think that again, you have to, and it's, it's going to sound a little bit morbid, but that kind of inspires me. There's this great book. It's called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And 4,000 weeks, if you're wondering, is basically how much time a person has to live. So when you look at it like that, right, which again, this is why it motivates me to say, okay, what am I going to spend time and energy on? <laughs> and if it's just thinking about my fears, then you're not going to live a very fulfilled life. And even if you have 4,000 weeks, you're going to feel like you didn't have anything because you spent it on things that really weren't important. So I try to wake up every day with an intention, with a list. And in the evening, I look at that list. Now for me, it's more automatic, but I'd say to start, really be very clear about what your intentions are for that day. Don't live your life in terms of this year or in terms of you know fall seasons or months or even weeks. You want to live your life according to a day. A day and make sure you're choosing your day, choosing your time, choosing your energy where you think it's important. So when you look at it like that, then you start to say, okay, how much of my day was rooted with fear-based thinking? Was it 60%? Was it 80%? And then you have to stop and say, what are the thing, what are the fears actually? Are they real? And then you have to force yourself to say, okay, I'm choosing to do the opposite of that. And you kind of lean into a whole different reality. And again, of course, it's uncomfortable at first. But when you do something over and over again, it becomes a habit. It becomes routine. And before you know it, you're somebody who's actually taking risks and you're enjoying it because we are hardwired to seek. We're seekers. We're curious by nature. And we're meant to live life like that. And when you stop doing that, you're going to feel unhappy anyway. So I just mm -hmm. think it's about doing a life audit, you know, even if you do a life audit every month and you each day say, okay, this day I'm choosing to focus on my thoughts. The next day I'm choosing on the food that I eat and put in my mouth. The next day I'm going to see how much I move my body in that day. You know, really be curious enough about yourself and care enough about yourself to be interested and look, you know, so often we're looking at how other people view us and how they see us and, or how they are living their lives. I mean, that's the problem with social media. You know, what are they doing? Oh, if only I had that, then I would do. No, none of that is true. Just stop and say, okay, I have this day. What do I want to do with it? Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are focused on what's fair and what's not. And that's another thing. You can get stuck in that. Life's not, you know, look, with my son, Josh, if I wanted to be like, you know, is this fair? This shouldn't have happened to me. I wouldn't be on your podcast today. <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't have written books. Well, I'm happy you, know? you are. <laughs> I wouldn't have had anything inspiring to say because I would have been stuck of the unfairness of it. I remember there was a family friend of ours in, 
in her culture, they believe that you know, there's a lucky child and there's unlucky one. And one takes all, in, in a family, there's one person that takes all the bad luck. And she said to me one day, she's like, you know, that's you. And I looked at her, I almost fell off my chair. I was like, what? I'm like, you, I have two sisters. I'm like, you, and one's divorced. The other one, at the time, whatever, there are all kinds of chaos going on. I'm like, how, like, I'm happy. How is it that you, she's like, well, your son. I was like, that's not unlucky. That's not like, but that's the thing. I mean, we, we make decisions and then we live our life according to that one negative belief that we think defines us. You know, the truth is everything is before and after everything. There'll be before you got married, there'll be after you got married, there'll be before. But the thing is, you, you get to decide what that before and after looks like, right? So that one big thing that happened, it's funny, I was on somebody's podcast, Maria Menunas, and she was telling a really inspiring story. We were talking about this idea. I said, you're forever changed. You just get to choose how you're changed from that thing that happened, right? But don't, don't ever make the assumption that, oh, you're not changed by it. You absolutely are. You just have to pay attention to which way you're allowing yourself to be changed. Is it going to be positive or is it going to be negative? And she said, it's so interesting you're saying that. She um, was on a show, it was very popular, and it was her last day on the show. And she has a picture, she's wearing a pink suit, and she's so happy. It's like the best day. And then the next day she found out that her mom had terminal cancer, and her mom's no longer here. And she said that she looked at that picture that was just the day before, and she never, she's like, who is that girl? Because she was so changed after it. But she's choosing positive change, right? So I think it's just, it's an important thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think, you know, being a stepmom has changed me. Like it has put me in situations where I have had to learn the lessons that I needed to learn. And the way I just look at life and challenges and relationships and, you know, owning your life and owning your story, it's completely changed. Like, I don't believe that I would be who I am right now if I didn't have those experiences, right? And you can look at being a stepmom and all the extra challenges and how nothing is simple and everything is, you know, just more complicated and there's extra. Sometimes there's drama and court and all the things in a bad way and how things are unfair. But there's so much beauty in it all. And when you're in that space, you can't see it all. Yeah, but it's it's up to each person to challenge themselves mm -hmm. to see yeah. that. You know, I think sometimes we go through life and we think, oh, you know, if I could just erase that one thing that I don't like, then life would be great. And it's like, no, then you have to erase all the other great things that happen when that one difficult thing happened. You can't pick and choose mm -hmm. in life. You know, you have to see it as all a blessing. And even in the challenges, how can you make it an opportunity? Mm -hmm. And it's totally doable. Yeah. Let's talk about fixed uh, mindset and a growth mindset, because that's basically what we've been talking about here. How do you recommend, well, first of all, let's kind of identify a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And then how do you, you know, support people in changing that perspective if they, if they find themselves kind of in that fixed place? A fixed mindset is that no matter what happens, there's no change. It's, this is bad. This is not what I want. There's no way of seeing something else. There's no shift in perspective. A growth mindset is that everything that happens, good, bad, it changes you for the better. There's a growth that happens, even though it's difficult. And I'm super inspired by this. There's a skier 
Uh, her name's Karina. I can't recall her last name. She was like an uber athlete and she had a horrible accident. She had to have multiple surgeries. She lost a leg. I mean, she like it was thing after thing for years. But in each thing, she was like, I'm going to grow from it. She learned from it. She's still an athlete. She lives an awesome life. She's a public speaker. She decided to grow from the difficulties. And that's up to each person now. I've, I've chosen to grow from every hardship that's happened to me. And we're meant to. I mean, that's really why challenges come into our life. They're not punishments. There's not, you know, God up in the sky saying, you're deserving of bad things. And, you know, that Pointing his of like, fingers and like waving his hand at different right. people. And that, you know, why do bad things happen? the good people. And it's just, no, th- th- things happen for our growth and for our transformation and for our, our betterment. But that's really up to us. And it is a mindset that you have to choose. You have to challenge yourself to be able to see things differently. Mm-hmm. Now there's, you use this example in your book of how to, you can look at something. It's like this word, like this jumble of words together. It says opportunity is now here or opportunity is nowhere. Like if you put those words all together and just like no space and how people can see this differently. And depending on your outlook in life, you read that sentence differently. And I thought that was just so cool, right? On like how two different people with two different mindsets can look at the same thing and see two totally different things. thousand percent. I mean, how often have you been so consumed with your thoughts or in your head, or you just didn't notice what was right in front of you. And so it's not even, you know, this lucky versus unlucky. Sometimes we're just so distracted or we think we're not deserving of things. or We're so busy in the negative narrative, that story in our head that we can't see the opportunity that's right in front of us. There's that famous mm-hmm. gorilla example. There's a, these people were asked to see numbers, like to count how many people are wearing a red shirt that walked in and off the screen and they're counting, they're counting, they're so busy looking at that one thing they were instructed to look at. Hardly anybody noticed a man dressed in a gorilla costume running across the screen and dancing like this because they were just focused on what they were told to focus on. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Well, thank you so much for taking time. This has been so good. We're going to have to get you back on. Where can everyone find you? Tell us what you've got going on. You can find me um, at my blog, RethinkLife.Today. My husband and I have a podcast called Spiritually Hungry, which is super fun. I have a new book out, also a children's book called The Gift of Being Different that my youngest daughter, Abigail, and I wrote. She's nine years old. You can check that out. Um, all my books are available on Amazon. And you can follow me at Monica R. Berg 74. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been so good. Thanks for having me. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who you think it would resonate with. And if you haven't already, if you could take a couple minutes, head to iTunes and give this podcast a rating and a review. It would mean the world to me, but only if you like the episode though. If you don't, that's cool. Just remember what they say. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, if you are a stepmom craving more, I highly recommend joining my membership, the exclusive stepmom community. Members get access to additional podcast episodes, interviews, and coaching sessions, and live Q&As, and just exclusive next-level content and conversation that I don't share anywhere else. Have an issue or a stressor that you'd like my support with? Just bring it to the Ask Jamie section of the forum. I check in throughout the week, and I'm here to help you out. 
To get more information or to join, head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership, and I'll see you in there.